This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey there. Because you're listening to this podcast, we at Blue Wire want you to know this. One, we freaking love you. And two, we want to learn more about you. Help us make more content you'll love by filling out a survey you can find in the description of this podcast. You'll help us out a ton, and you'll have a chance to win a Blue Wire t-shirt, hoodie, or a pair of AirPods. We appreciate you, hope you're staying safe, and want you to enjoy this podcast. Three on one. Bagley with the step. Bagley with the dunk. And you can put it in the book. And send it to the left. There it is. Buddy Hale alone at the top of the King's record. Oh, I like this. Fox Force 5 in the open court. It's into the lane. Oh, if you don't like that, you don't like King's basketball. Oh. Welcome back to another episode of the King's Pulse Podcast. My name is Brendan Nunez. We got Rich Ivanowski on here, as we usually do. What's going on, Rich? How you doing, man? I'm doing well, sir. I'm doing well, uh, and very excited to have on. I think probably our most our, our most frequent guest. Um, we got kind of a Bill Simmons thing going on here with two white guys bringing on a, a third white man uh, to discuss basketball. How are you doing, Tim Maxwell? I'm doing fabulous, and I identify as a giraffe, white man. So we should be clear about that. Yeah, we'll be sure to address you as such next time. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah. And uh, we're just going to kick off the start here with a little bit of news that's been going on, as I'm sure most people have seen. But Jabari Parker, Buddy Heald, and Alex Glenn all testing positive for COVID-19. Um, not sure all too much what else to say on that. The idea is that they're still going to be available to play in Orlando. Should that still uh, happen and be the case a little bit later in time? Um, but yeah, three Kings players did come down with COVID-19. Um, you have a response to that in any sort of way, Rich, or how do you kind of want to go about that? Um, yeah, I mean, first of all, I am personally, and I know that we all are, uh, praying that things end in a, a safe way and, you know, that everyone recovers and that there's no, uh, you know, I, I think like the worst possibilities you, you think about, they're pretty bleak. And um, we know that Carl uh, Anthony Towns lost his mother to uh, COVID. And, uh, you know, that's where my mind goes. I'm, I'm of a pretty dark mind to think about that. But I'm praying for these players and their families. Um, and aside from that, my thought is just I have quite a bit of concern about the restart happening at all and if it happens that like I'm concerned about it going super well and actually finishing but I don't know um that certainly seems to be the way things are heading are you what do you think about that Tim like do you think that this season is gonna get back off the ground and and be completed you know I think it's gonna get back off the ground because even if the NBA 
stops early. Like, and then I think that's going to happen, frankly. I think we're going to – season's going to restart, and then too many players are going to uh, test positive, and then at some point they're going to have to call the season. But from the NBA's uh, – from a, from a very non-player-friendly perspective, the NBA, every game that they play, they're gaining tens of millions of dollars back, and if they can hit six to seven regular season games, most of the teams are looking at uh, tens of millions to hundreds of millions of dollars in income. Uh, return to them, which is obviously to billionaires. Billionaires typically put uh, money over the working man, and that's just this is probably just going to be another case of that. So, if the NBA didn't have quite literally billions upon billions of dollars at stake, do I think they would actually be resuming the season? No. Do I think they should be resuming the season? No. Are they going to try? Absolutely. And I, I especially since they named a date and a time and you know they've laid out all of their plans pretty clearly here and they continue to make these announcements so I think the Adam Silver and and the Board of Governors and everyone involved is it's going to take a huge um, jarring event to happen to to cancel the season before it begins. Um, Do you think the same thing uh, Brendan? Yeah I'm pretty much under the same train of thought there it wouldn't surprise me that it does kind of kick off and then they realize that it's not going to be doable with everything going on. Um, but I think they're definitely going to try, like you said, laying out the date and everything. I think that might have been a mistake, and now there's kind of these expectations. I think they're going to try to stick to that. And, you know, there's there's an idea behind, you know, the, like say the three guys that got it uh, go to Orlando and self-quarantine there for 14 days and then at that point uh, be healthy to play potentially um, if there's no lingering effects or anything like that. So I, I don't know. There's an idea behind it where I guess I could see it working, but more likely than not, um, I, I lean this sort of same way as you there, Tim. And in response to the – it came out before the Jabari Parker news, the Kings with a plan and thinking that they're playing through at least eight games in Orlando, signed old friend Corey Brewer to a contract for the rest of the year. And uh, what was your reaction to that one, Rich? Did you have uh, Brewer as kind of one of your top guys that you were looking at as a potential addition? Or are you a Shumpert guy, Isaiah Thomas, like Tim? Or what were your thoughts on Brewer? Yeah, very pleased with it. I think that the obvious need was at wing, um, and that's before the the whole Parker news, which I don't think – I'm a little bit confused how that plays into it because I don't think Jabari Parker was getting a bunch of minutes uh, in any situation. But, yeah, no, definitely pleased with it. I know he's a guy that you and I both said we would like to see back on the team over last offseason. We wanted to to bring him back. Um, so, yeah, I'm pretty happy with it. I, I think that Tim laid out a great case for Isaiah Thomas and Sanjesh Singh, who's been on the show before numerous times, um, also put out a, a larger uh, uh, field of, of potential signees. Um, over at the kingsherald.com, or excuse me, kingsherald.com. And um, as well, I actually wrote about someone else. Uh, I wrote about Iman Shumpert today for the Sacramento Bee. But, yeah, overall, definitely love Corey Brewer and glad to see him back. What are your thoughts on on Brewer, Tim? Yeah, I'm in the same boat. Um, One thing I've learned after years of being a Kings fan and writing about them is um, and just as an analyst or a fan, is just because the team doesn't make the move I want them to make doesn't mean the the move was a mistake, right? So I, I would have preferred Isaiah Thomas because I think he's the most 
likely to make a difference in a short span of time. But you look at Brewer, he's a he's a solid defensive player. I don't even know if he's solid, but he's an energetic defensive player, which the Kings often lack, especially um, on the perimeter. Um, he, and one thing I didn't realize, someone pointed this out on Twitter, and I don't remember who it was, but I was like, give them props. But he played 78 games under Luke Walton um, in L.A. So Walton's familiar with his playing style. He averaged around 13, 14 minutes a game under Walton. Um, that was two to three years ago. So not only does he have familiarity with the, most of the Kings players and a lot of the things they're trying to do, but he's also got uh, familiarity with the coaching staff, which is great. Um, I don't expect him to necessarily play a lot of minutes, if any. I think he's more of if, if someone gets hurt on the wing, Brewer can come in and, and fill in a few minutes or foul trouble or, or even maybe there's some conditioning concerns with everyone taking a three-month break and coming back for a shortened camp. Uh, I, I don't really expect him into the ro- in the rotation. Do you do you really see him playing at all, Brandon? Um, I think that he could find himself with some minutes. Um, but and we're gonna kind of get into that this episode. What the potential rotation and minutes might look like over these eight games, since I think it's almost gonna have a playoff feel to it with how um, important and valuable each one of these games are gonna be. And I'm under the train of thought that Harrison Barnes should just get a ridiculous amount of minutes, as he has been. I'm pretty sure, um, pulling it up here, that he was the team leader in minutes per game. Yeah, he was again this year. I know he was during his time last year as well, like 35 minutes. I think that you maybe even give him two more than that. Like, you could play Barnes 37 minutes a game, and that takes up most of your wing minutes just because I think you want him at the three, you want him at the four. I think maybe you get a little bit of Brewer sprinkled in there, but with Bazemore as your other wing as well. Um, I don't see it as all too likely, but like you mentioned, we know that the Kings definitely have moments of needing a spark and just someone to go out there and really give some energy. I think that's part of why Bazemore was such a big deal when he came in, was just an infectious energy, and it's part of the value of Giles and Holmes as well. That They definitely could use that in Brewer at times. So I think he'll get spotty minutes here and there, um, but I don't think it's all too much. And the question I wanted to kind of kick this off with, I mentioned Barnes as a guy that I think should be getting 35-plus minutes. The other two I have under that same um, train of thought is Fox and Holmes. And I'm, I'll kick it to you, Rich. I mean, do you think the same way that these three guys really should have their minutes ramped up during these eight games since they're so crucial to the team's success? Yeah, I think that makes a ton of sense. I think that those are the three best guys at their role, essentially. Like, And it's not close, right? Where you've got Rashawn Holmes, I think, is the best center on this team. And it's it's just it's really not – there's really not an argument to be, to be had any other direction. Obviously the same for Fox as a point guard uh, and initiator. And then I think you can do that same exact argument for Harrison Barnes – as a as a forward, as a big wing type. Um, and it's just like, you know, just because there isn't anyone you could even really compare them with, I think that's where Bogey and Buddy kind of are eating into each other a little bit there. Um, but, yeah, so I definitely agree with you. Those would be the three guys who are getting, like, no question big minutes uh, and deserve deservedly so. I have a, a bit of a hot take about – Bogey and Buddy, but before we get to that, I'll I'll uh, kick that same question over to Tim. Are those like the three the three no question huge minute guys to you? 
Yeah, the the only the only hesitation I, I I agree with the concept, right? Fox Fox Barnes and Holmes are in a lot of ways the three most important teams on the floor at any given moment. Um, so as long as everyone's in shape and there aren't any injury concerns, right? That's that's my only thing is I I look at this like in two different perspectives. I look at it in, in Brendan's perspective of like there's only eight, eight games, you don't have a whole season to worry about. Get out there and play 35 minutes a game. Um, but on the flip side, if guys are either concerned about injuries, the training staff is concerned about injuries, or guys are out of shape, um, or just not playing well because they haven't played basketball in three months, we might actually we could see shortened rosters with a ton of minutes to a few guys, or we could see expanded uh, depth charts with fewer minutes to each guy. I could I could really see it playing either way. But if everyone's in shape and not in foul trouble, then yeah, th- those are the three guys that need the big minutes. Like you mentioned, Rich, Buddy and Bogey are going to eat each other's minutes. And same with Bielitsa and Bagley um, and whatever other backup big um, happens to be playing in that moment. So you've got those three K guys and then kind of everyone underneath them. Yeah, totally agree. As long as everyone's healthy and in shape, um, I'm in the same line of thinking there. And let's, let's hear this take, Rich. What's going on with this Buddy Bogey? Yeah, so... My take, and this is what I'm going to be writing about this week, uh, or the the later half of the week for the sack B, is I think you, if you're the Kings, I think you just play Buddy and Bogey alongside each other. You start them and you play them both quite a bit of minutes. And I think that my argument focuses around, because this is such a short stretch of games, you want to catch lightning in a bottle if you can. You want guys to just get super duper hot and and ride that wave. And the question is about Buddy Heald. Really, it's like okay, so Buddy he struggled as a starter, and then you wonder, okay, well, is that the scheme because he's succeeded as a starter before in the previous year? And then when Bogdanovich came in and took over that starting role at the two guard, the team won a lot more games. I would say because it's a shortened season. With really strange, with a really strange context in a lot of different ways, you just put your talent out on the floor. You get your best guys as many minutes as possible, and you hope that you come across a, a stretch of games from Buddy that just is electric. Uh, and and it happens, right? Like he has stretches of games where he averages, you know, twenty five points. Uh, he has stretches of games where he shoots fifty percent plus from from three. You know, eight game stretches. So. That's, I'm going to kind of formulate that argument out more as the next couple of days go on um, as I'm writing about it, but that's my general hot take is just start them both. Yeah, and I am under – I totally agree with that. I think that, you know, moving Barnes to the four also is beneficial for him. I, I think that he's sort of best in that role. I think we've touched on that a little bit here. And obviously the guy that this kind of takes some minutes from would be Bielita getting moved to the bench. And – I don't think that you can play Bielisa and Buddy together all too much, especially in an environment where, again, it's eight games. I think people are – opposing teams are going to attack the weak spots a lot more, and I, I just really would worry about having two terrible defenders and Buddy and Bielisa out there, and Buddy just being the clearly superior offensive player. I would much prefer the minutes go to him, and I've kind of been thinking, I mean – yeah, because of this, that Bielitsa's minutes obviously would get cut, and I don't have all too much of a problem with that. I'm not saying he doesn't play at all, but he's not getting, what, he's averaging 28 on the year. I think you could see a 17, 
15 minutes. I know it's low, but I, I'm in the train of thinking that you give a majority of your minutes to these top guys. Um, so I, I think that that would lead to the elite's minutes getting cut a little bit, and I don't have all too much of a problem with that, um, assuming that Barnes is sliding to the four. How do you kind of feel about that updated starting lineup that I know we've talked about before, Tim? You know, I like the concept. Um, I think a lot of us have kind of pushed that Fox, Buddy, Bobby, Barnes, Holmes lineup really for like a year and a half, two years now. Um, the interesting thing is, Rich, um, and Brendan, I guess for Rich, you kind of one that brought up the, the point, is I pulled some healed minute stats before this episode because I just wanted to kind of see, like I was I was trying to put, up, put some lineups together and I, I kept not finding enough minutes from Bazemore compared to what he was actually playing when he was in sack. And here's what's interesting. Uh, Buddy Heald as a starter averaged 34.4 minutes per game. Buddy Heald off the bench averaged 26.6 minutes per game. Buddy Heald off the bench after Bazemore and Len were acquired was 23.7 minutes per game. So we really saw Walton give a chunk of Buddy's minutes. I mean, 10 minutes per game basically to Bazemore because Bogey's minutes didn't change at all and Joseph's minutes didn't change at all. Basically, Bazemore came in and took a, a chunk of those. So um, I like the concept in general. I And I know Luke Walton wants to play Barnes at the four more. We've, we've heard that for a little while during, during quarantine. So I'm curious to see. This is not what I would do, but I'm curious to see if he puts Bazemore in that starting lineup next to Bogey and then still brings Buddy off the bench because – that's what he trended towards minute-wise um, prior to the hiatus. Yeah, I think part of my argument, I guess, against Buddy off the bench, or, you know, I think part of the reason it worked well, I mean, I know we heard a lot of Walton saying that you were able to run more of the offense through Buddy when it wasn't both him and Fox out there. Um, but I think that the same way that the Kings could be shortening their lineup, giving more minutes to the crucial guys at the top, I think opposing teams could do that as well. And uh, there were moments that Buddy was able to do well against opposing bench units, and I just don't think he would be against those as often. Um, so that's kind of a little bit of my counterthought to, you know, Buddy running a bench unit because I don't know how much he's against opposing bench units necessarily. I yeah, think another – sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, and I, I agree with that point. I just think from Luke Walton's perspective, I don't know if he's on board with us or if he's ever been on board with us with anything. But go ahead, Rich. Well, so Bazemore hasn't started a game for the Sacramento Kings. Do you think that – can you dive into more how – where? why would he suddenly start if – if he hadn't been starting before. This would be if, if we were moving Barnes down to the four, right? So if you move Barnes down to the four, you've created a wing opening. So either you can move Bogey down to the three and Buddy to two, or you can keep Buddy at two and, and Bazemore to three. Basically, my thinking is, I could, I'm not saying this is what I would do, but I could see Walton saying, well, Bazemore is a better defender. Um, he can handle slightly more than Buddy, so I'll put him in the starting lineup to support the wing defense and then bring Buddy off the bench. So that's that opening at the three is essentially what would put Bazemore in. I'm not saying I would do that, but I could see Walton going with that. Interesting. Um, that's def- I think that's a pretty hot take, and it'd be I would be pretty surprised to see it, uh, but only because we haven't gotten any indication of it. And he had 21 chances to start Bazemore and never did it. But again, like this context, this situation is so strange that. 
I wouldn't really be shocked by anything. Um, one other aspect of the the shortened return to play season is that you know obviously guys are going to be really well rested. Um, from what I have, what where I'm leaning on that is that play is going to be kind of more similar to beginnings of seasons when you see a lot of fresh legs. And maybe there's going to be – maybe everyone's going to be super rusty. That's certainly possible too. But I think you're going to see a, a higher pace of play in general because guys aren't, you know, worn down from 40, 50 games of, of regular season play, which it does. Like the pace just slows as, as the season goes on. And I think that's probably going to be uh, – have a negative effect on older guys. Now, Bazemore is a pretty bouncy, pretty athletic – older dude, uh, but like for Bielitsa in particular, I do wonder, even though he's been really strong to start seasons, especially just shooting-wise, I do wonder if guys with limited athleticism will suffer a little bit in a in a potentially fast, fast-replaced environment. Um, yeah. Do you think that's, that's – would you think it's going to be like that, Brendan? Um, I think it potentially could be. I, I sort of – thought of it is it just could be more sloppy. I think it takes time for guys to sort of get back into game shape, and I think that's kind of what you're uh, getting towards here. Um, so, yeah, I think that that could be the case, um, and I'm terrified thinking about the start of the season that the Kings had here. At least the Hornets aren't going to be going there to outrun the Kings, and uh, P.J. Washington can't, can't talk crap after the game. Um, but <laughs> another part of uh, Kings being healthy, I mean, obviously – or, well, a t- a, some break in allowing guys to get healthy, we are thinking that there's no there's not been an announcement, but we're thinking that Bagley will probably be available. And we totally just skipped over the idea of him even starting. I mean, are we just sort of all against that? I, I know I am. Um, how are you with Bagley potentially starting, Tim? I, I mean, I, I'm against it. Um I mean, I guess if he comes out in the first four games and just absolutely blows everyone out of the water, then sure, whatever, start him. But I would be shocked um, from, like, an analysis standpoint and just from, like, a Luke Walton standpoint. If he started, I don't think you can take a guy who played 13 games, hasn't played in – I mean, Bagley hasn't played in longer than everyone else, so four or five months, whatever it is, and start him and expect any level of production against other starting power forwards and centers. So I would be against that. In concept, I really don't think that's going to happen. Are you on board, Rich? Yeah, I don't really want to see Bagley start because he's not done anything this year. So it would be that would be another bizarre move, uh, in my opinion. But again, like, really wouldn't be surprised by it either. Like, you know, they have a lot. This team has a lot invested, or perceives themselves to have a lot invested in Bagley. Um, I don't know. On the flip side of that, it, you know, this is this is not what Walton's going to do because this is not what Walton has done. But I would be kind of on board for them to just play a really athletic starting five and, you know, playing off the fact that everyone is rested and hopefully everyone will be healthy, um, at least in terms of lower body injuries and, and all that stuff. I would be kind of excited to see Fox and Buddy and Bagley and Holmes running the court. Um, is there any possibility that that happens? 
From what um, we've seen, probably not. I mean, I, I definitely wouldn't mind seeing it. Um, I, I think that Holmes is just going to be clearly the better player there, and I think you can kind of get the same idea there. Even if he's not necessarily as like agile and quick as Bagley, I think that it still works with Holmes. So maybe maybe there's some minutes there, and I think it could be interesting. Uh, but I'd say uh, I'd guess that we don't see it very often. And correct me if I'm wrong, Tim, aren't you kind of under the idea that Bagley's a four here? I've seen your depth charts. Yeah, I, I, I think Bagley's a four. Um, well, I think Bagley's a tweener big, right? I mean, he, we, don't, we don't know what Bagley is, right? I mean, we saw a promising rookie year where he played 61 games, I want to say 60 games, something like that where he showed some flashes of rim protection, and then he basically missed his entire sophomore year. I don't, I don't really take anything he did this year and apply it to his career because there's just the games are too far and too, too far and, you know, the phrases. There weren't enough games. Um, so I would slot him as a four because I don't think he can handle the physicality of other fives, nor do I think he's an effective rim protector. Um, and I think... There is some potential for him as a four-spacer from the mid-range. I don't think he has a three-point shot yet. Uh, I, I count him as a four. The issue is that none of the Kings' fives can space the floor, so that puts Bagley in kind of an awkward position. Um, and, and to your point earlier, Richard, um, Dave Yeager would be such a better coach for these eight games than Oh, God. Yes. Um, it's it's depressing to think about, like, no matter what you think about Dave Yeager versus Luke Walton for the past year, the Kings, like, easy buckets are going to become so important in these eight games because, like Brendan mentioned, this basketball is going to be sloppy. You guys are going to be out of sorts. The chemistry is going to be bad. Like, well-run plays are not going to happen in late July and early August. What's going to happen is transition, free throws, layups, dunks. So, you know, when Dave Yeager had De'Aaron Fox take the ball after a made possession by the opposing team and just had him sprint down and get a layup, like, that's what we need the Kings to do. Um, will they do it? Probably not. But um, if, if Bagley started in a lineup where they prioritized running, I mean, I, I think actually that could work with Holmes as a power – or with Holmes as a center and Bagley's power forward. Now you've got two bigs sprinting down the floor. You still have a rim protector next to Bagley. Your, your offensive spacing is going to be crap in the half-court, but your half-court offense probably isn't going to be very good anyway. So does that make sense? Yeah, yeah I think it totally does. And, and my other question I'll throw towards you, Rich, is do you feel like Bagley has to get minutes because this is like a development, almost pseudo-playoff experience sort of thing? Or, or is it just, you know, I mean, you need to put out there whatever's going to get you wins? In a weird way, I think that he will get a lot of minutes, and I think that he should get a lot of minutes because I just see I, – I don't see this playing out as we're describing it or as anyone thinks it will happen. I, I think that players will be missing from the games because of COVID stuff. I think that – like we've already seen three Kings uh, test positive for it. Many other players around the league, I think that's going to continue. That trend's going to continue. I I really just – I don't see how, like, this league gets to – Orlando gets to the bubble intact. And I think that this is going to become a very strange uh, situation very quickly. And I don't think that any team is really going to be at full strength or, or 
and, and on the flip side of that, like, I think that really quickly there will be teams that give up um, or, you know, are forced to give up. Because of the situation, I think there are going to be a lot of teams that are already up in the playoff uh, bracket that, like, don't really care about the seeding and just want to coast into the playoffs. And then there will be other teams that, you know, your Wizards and your Suns that just get kind of knocked out of elimination very early. And a lot of these games are going to be against, like, weird opponents with a lot of lower-level talent. And I, I think it's going to – I think it will turn into kind of a, a strange development situation where, hey, if Bagley is healthy, let's just give him some run. There's no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partners, BetOnline.ag. Sports are slowly making their way back, and BetOnline is leading the way with the best odds and lines for all UFC, NASCAR, boxing, and soccer matches. If you need even more, they have simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC simulations all day, every day, live on their website. If you're looking for something else other than sports, BetOnline has hundreds of casino games, poker tournaments, and prop bets to check out as well. Visit betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE for a free welcome bonus. That's one word, BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. Yeah, I was just going to say, in regards to Bagley's minutes, I mean, I think you have to play him, you know, 20 to 25 minutes a game because no matter how you look at the situation, if you're looking at it as we need to win games – I mean, Bagley did average 15 and 8 as a 20, 19-year-old rookie in the NBA, so he's got skills, right? So he's my my main concern with Bagley long term is health more than skill. Although I think skills, there's some concern there. So he can help you get buckets and and score, which is going to be I think incredibly important in this shortened atmosphere. On the flip side, if you're looking at these eight games as well, they may not happen, or the Kings' shot at the playoffs is so low that we may as well just develop Bagley. Um, then you can look at it as, okay, now he's got eight games. It's not a lot of time, but he's got eight games to show what he's worked on over the last three months and how much of a cornerstone he can actually become before we enter the NBA draft and we need to figure out if a, you know, if we need to potentially look at taking a big man if he's available or, or where we need to go with that draft pick. So I think either way you benefit from giving Bagley 20-ish, 25-ish minutes per game. You know, going off that, um, I think that, it makes a lot of sense to play Bagley as a backup five in this scenario uh, because, as we've kind of outlined, we see Barnes as being a starting four. Um, I think we all like the Elita as a backup four. Yeah, I mean, Bagley's probably not ready fully to be a five quite yet. And in an optimal situation, he's a four. And in an optimal situation, he his shot comes around. But I think that I'd be comfortable with him coming off the bench as a five. And I guess the whole point I'm doing this is just to lob you up a, a softball here, Tim, to talk about how much you hate Harry Giles. I like Harry Giles as a person. I do not like Harry Giles in my rotation. Um, Rich, you and I have kind of skirmished about this off and on for like three weeks. Um, That's a full-blown war. Well, yeah, now, now it's a war. Now we're here, right? Now we're, now we're meeting. Um, Harry Giles, lovely guy. I hate you so much, Tim. Good Sorry. prospect, <laughs> right? I'm okay with it. Most people do. Uh, 
good prospect, I think declining his option was stupid, right? So, like, let's let's lay that groundwork. Um, but if you were looking to win a basketball game today, if I need to go win a basketball game today and I need to pick a backup center, Alex Len is the better option over Harry Giles 10 out of 10, 100 out of 100, 1,000 out of 1,000 times. And I know you disagree with me vehemently, Rich. Yeah, I just think you're basing this off of, like, a foolishly small sample size. I think that when any player comes to the Kings and looks like a halfway decent um, center that belongs in the NBA for five games, you think that they're – you overrate them. I, and not just you. I mean, you in, in terms of all of Sacramento Kings fandom. It happens all the time. Guys come to Sacramento and they look like NBA players for five games and we're, like, all about them. And, yeah, I mean, like, we, we all sang praises for Corey Brewer. Like, yeah, I like Corey Brewer. I like him a lot. I like him more than I should. There's all these tweets going around about Kings legend Corey Brewer. A little bit of it is tongue-in-cheek, but, like, also he's one of the very few players that has come to Sacramento and looked like an NBA player. So, and and I think that's what's happening with Alex Glenn. I think he played, what, is it seven games, nine games? Nine and only games. nine games and, like, what, five or six of them looked really good, and he averaged, like, 18 minutes a game in those. And, I mean, really, like, so he played 150 minutes for the Kings. I think that you are – you're placing an improper amount of weight on that compared to the other six and a half seasons he played in the league where he was really not an exceptional player. Um, I think that he's a a replacement level big man and that's great. And in a lot of ways it can be better than Harry Giles uh, because Harry Giles is still very early in his growth curve, but they're different players. They have different strengths and weaknesses and yeah, I, I like I just I don't care that much. I'm I'm making, you know, a joke about it being some war and whatever, but like yeah, I don't care that much. I think they're pretty much on the same level and and I wouldn't really like fault anyone for ha- feeling one way or the other. I I will fault you I think for being overly confident in this, saying that a 100 times out of 100 million out of a million whatever. I think that's a bit much, but that's just my it, opinion. It probably is. And l- let me say this. I I joked about Len being an MVP candidate because of his stats. Len is an average backup center in the league to me. Like, that's that's what he is. He's a competent backup center, solid rim protector. Um, and my wanting to play Len over Giles has more to do for me with Giles than with Len, if that makes sense. So it's not necessarily, and again, I know we've joked back and forth and we're all friends here. Um, it's not that I'm saying Len is a great player. I'm saying he is a better player. I, I, w- I shouldn't even say better because then you bring talent. I think Giles is a more naturally talented player. Len is the more effective player right now than Giles is right now. Giles, his opponents shoot 8.6% better at the rim when guarded by Giles in their average, which is the worst of any center in the NBA. Willie Cauley-Stein was the worst center last year, and he was at 2.9% better. Um, it's actually, I, I went back, the stats started being tracked in 2013, 2014, seven years ago, I think, six years ago, six years ago, and that's the worst mark of any center, that plus 8.6%. So um, opponent shot 72 of 102 at the rim against Giles this year. Um, Len, on the other hand, and I know rim protection isn't everything by any means, Len has, this year his, his defensive field goal percentage exploded, and it's not real. It's not real numbers on the Kings. 
but he's an average of negative 7.6%, which is the 71st percentile among centers over the last four years. Um, he's a better rebounder and pick and roll target than Giles. Um, and then probably the big thing for me, the biggest thing for me, Giles, and then I'll, I'll get off my soapbox, is that the Kings' net rating with Giles on the court was negative 7.7, and with Giles off it was negative 0.3. So the negative 7.4 differential was the worst of any Kings player, and they were outscored by 56 points in 142 minutes when he was in the starting lineup. So the Kings just get killed every time Giles gets on the floor. Now he's a brilliant passer for a big man, and he can actually space the floor from mid-range pretty well. Uh, but I just think the defensive struggles of Giles between trying not to foul and then therefore not protecting the rim, that just disqualifies him from the rotation for me right now. So I am I am officially off my soapbox until I write an article about this next week. Yeah, and I, I just think that my, you know, I'll get off my thing too, but I think my point is that I think you tend to fall in love with numbers a bit and sometimes – For sure sometimes miss the, the context, which is, you know, really hard to understand for the Kings because the Kings aren't a fantastically competent basketball organization. And, I you know, I think Harry Giles is probably miscast as a center. I've been saying Agreed. for a very, very, very long time that he should be a four. Um, whereas, like, Len is a, more foolproof of a – he's more foolproof of a player. You know what I mean? Like, plug and play. He's a five. Let him be a big man that's, like, extremely – not diverse in his talents, but let him go sit under the basket and do what big fellas do. And, like, I think that, like, for the Kings organization, that's probably better because they can't they can't mess that up. But I think you take these two, two players and put them in a better circumstance or a different circumstance, and I think that it would be, like, extremely clear from day one that uh, Harry Styles is significantly more talented, and I think that any other franchise would probably – uh, do a better job of of relaying that into effectiveness, but you know, and again, like I could see this flip, and 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 just to get back to the context we're in now with this restart, and we don't know how the conditioning has been for either player. There have been injuries situations with Giles in the past. There have been times where Len comes out and looks like, you know, nothing, nothing at all, um, and so like we just don't know. And I, I think it could really go either way. And I, I will just never have the conviction to sit here and be like, I know what is the better situation for these two players who, again, I just feel like are, are similar, similarly valued. Yeah. Well, I'm the guy that puts raisins in seven roll, so I'm, I stand <laughs> for strange things. Yeah. I, uh, I'm kind of where I think that Giles is just more inconsistent, where he has higher moments of good play, and then also, I mean, the low moments are, are pretty terrible. Like Tim has mentioned, I think the rim protection, like, I never want to see Bielitsa and Giles out there at the same time protecting the rim, even though Bielitsa, I guess, quietly has a few moments of, like, some weak side blocks or whatever. But, no, I mean, I think that my thought, if you're just trying to win as much as possible in these eight games, is that there's going to be moments where you just kind of need a spark, and I think you throw Giles in there because I think he can truly turn the game around on the offensive end, even if he's going to be a bit of a liability defensively. Even though he does have his flashes there, like I think of the Chicago game this year where Giles really comes in and turns that game around. And I think there's moments he can do that. So uh, I'm kind of under the train of thought that you put Giles out there, but you have him on a short leash and you have Len as kind of the consistent backup if things noticeably aren't going well for Giles. He also had like a blood-curdling block of a dunk. Oh, it was so loud. 
Yeah. But, so, yeah, I mean, like, but no, you're, you're spot on. Like, one is a much more high-variance player, and one is kind of like, yeah, like, you get what you get. He's just a passable, boring backup center, and that's fine. And, like, the, and I think there are circumstances where you would prefer that, and there are circumstances when you wouldn't. And to your point, Rich, I, I, I truly agree with you that Harry Giles is a power forward. The problem is you have three other power forwards ahead of him on the depth chart. So if you want to get him minutes, you're going to have to slide him in at center or maybe Bagley in at center. One of those guys is going to have to play out of position. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think aside from, I mean, we kind of touched on, like, I feel the same way with Bagley that I feel like he kind of should have a short leash here if it does feel like you still could make the playoff with these eight games. But the only young guy that I really don't feel that way with, obviously, is De'Aaron Fox. I mean, he's just a clear cornerstone of this franchise that even if he's fumbling a few times, I mean, you kind of just – that's the guy that you keep out there. You get him the experience no matter what. I mean, I think the Kings are also just a better team with him out there. Um, but that's the one guy that for sure I think you just get as many minutes as, as possible – um, I like Kojo as a backup, but obviously Fox is the clearly superior player. He's the whole identity of the team at times. And I think we saw moments of, I think, of a Portland game really early in the year. I know there's a couple other moments that Fox really just has a good five-minute stretch of taking over the game. And I'd like to see him do that more in this short stretch here. I think that he really can dominate for for moments of games when he wants to. And I don't think we've seen that quite often enough. Maybe it's just like an emphasis on distributing. I know he talked about uh, really focusing on that last offseason, but I'd really like to see Fox go out there and just be the guy for a good stretch of games. Um, I mean, since there's potentially only eight that they're playing here. Yeah, if I could change – so. if I can improve one thing on, on Fox's game, it would be aggressiveness and assertiveness uh, more than shooting, which is which sounds bizarre because Fox with a three-point shot is is a very, 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 very good player. I think the three-point shot will come at least to average in time, but we, like you said, Brendan, we've seen moments during this last season where he, he recognized that I'm, I'm the alpha dog, and I think if he could become a full-time alpha dog, like a Damian Lillard-type attitude or even a Russell Westbrook-type attitude, um, we would see the Kings become a, a playoff contender. Um, and then obviously the shot and some defensive focus from there. But I, I agree that assertiveness, aggressiveness, that's Fox's number one thing to work on over these eight games and even coming into next year. Yeah, maybe we can wrap this up by just going around and and maybe th- uh, maybe saying, like, the player we see having the uh, – most like the biggest expansion of their role and and maybe the biggest reduction. So a guy that you think maybe will get more play in this upcoming eight game stretch or the, and the guy that will get the least. And I guess I, I can start off by saying that the Elisa is probably my guy for getting the biggest reduction in his role. And maybe Marvin Bagley gets the most expansion of his role. That's kind of cheating because he didn't really play much this year, but I think everything considered, I could I could see for a lot of other con- you know contextual reasons also of like you know just figuring out what they've got and all that. I could see him getting a, a, a spotlight. I guess. Um, do you do you have a, an answer for for those, Brendan? Yeah, I think it, it feels a little cheaty to go with the same position 
for opposites here. I guess that's kind of what you did here. I mean, uh, it's sort of what I said. I wanted to say Barnes for this, but I guess considering he already had a really big role in regards to minutes, um, I'll, I'll go with Fox. I, I think that Fox really should be out there for as many minutes as he can comfortably handle and obviously safely. And I think that reduces a lot of the Corey Joseph minutes as well. Like I said, I, I like him as a player, but, I mean, he definitely has his shortcomings. And I think that teams could scheme against Kojo on offense. I mean, we've talked about him dribbling around for 20 seconds just with nothing happening. Um, and then I'll give a little shout-out to Bogey as well. I think that Bogey's a guy that really could come on, and he's a, someone that maybe really benefited from getting a lot of rest, and we know what he's capable of, so he could have a good stretch and uh, see an uptick in minutes there as well. But I'll go more with Fox and a little less with Kojo because of more Fox minutes. What about yourself for those two, Tim? Uh, I'm going to go with Rich with the elites. I think he's going to see – 28 minutes a game go to less than 20 for sure with Bagley coming back and then probably some small ball being emphasized during these next eight or more games. Um, and then as far as a role increase, I'm going to go with just the young shooting guards. So um, I think Bogey, his minutes probably won't change much, as you mentioned, Brendan. This is the first time he's rested in like three years. He's always played summer ball or, you know, um, international ball, I guess I should say, Olympics, whatever it is. So this is the first time he's had a break since he entered the NBA. So we saw FIBA bogey is what we call him. Um, I think we're going to see some more of that. We're going to see some assertiveness and some decisiveness from bogey. And then Buddy, who has seen his minutes decline in every instance this year under Walton, I think because of the value he brings as a floor spacer and as a just an insane scorer and shooter, um, I think we're going to see his role and just minutes increase too. So Bielitsa down. The young, I, I shouldn't even say young. I, yeah, guard. I was going to say, I was waiting for you to name a young yeah, shooting guard. Youngish, <laughs> not super old shooting guards are going to see their role increase. Yeah, and I think uh, one of the last things we wanted to get to here, I mean, obviously we've been doing a bunch of draft content here, and I know that uh, Tim has some takes and guys he likes more than Rich and I do for sure, and I think maybe the first one to throw your way, Tim, is talk us into Denny of Evija, man. I, I don't know how I'm feeling about this, this whole 55% from the free throw line. And it's looked a little bit better recently, but I don't know. Rich and I seem more hesitant on him than you do. He's the wild card, right? I, I guess the ultimate – well, there's like three wild cards in the top six here, depending on how your draft board ranks. Yeah, uh, got, draft is wild cards. It's, it's insane, right? You've got James Wiseman, who was like the guy. And then he played three games or four games, five games, whatever it was, and he didn't look that good during those games for the most part. He got Lamelo Ball, who just—I don't—I don't understand anything about <laughs> Lamelo Ball, like good or bad. I just don't understand him as a player or as a prospect. And I get told that he's going to be probably great and better than all these guys, and I just—I I don't see it. Um, and then you've got Denny, who's kind of like a mix of those two, where he's got a good base set for his position. Um, but does he have the strength and the athleticism and the shooting to back up his playmaking and potential defense? And um, I, I kind of fell in love with Denny probably about a year ago um, when there was an article posted by ESPN. It was an interview and kind of a, a profile of Denny as a prospect, and they just talked about his attitude as a, as a gym rat, as a hard worker. And I know those those profiles can be very friendly to players, but it also talked about his attitude on the court as he's kind of your badass. He's your, not necessarily enforcer, um, but he's going to talk trash. He's going to have an attitude. He's not going to let anyone get in his face. And, and we've talked about 
a lot of the Kings' young-ish players are not that guy. They're nice guys, right? They want to play Call of Duty with the other guys in the league, and they want to do all these other things. That's kind of the new generation of players, but the Kings sometimes lack that bulldog mentality. That's, I think, one of the reasons Iman Shumpert was so popular with the guys because he didn't back down from anyone. So from an, from a non-basketball perspective or from an on-the-court leadership perspective, I think Denning could provide that for the Kings. And then from a basketball perspective, you're taking a huge gamble with Denny if you're taking them in the top four, five, six, because you're just kind of betting that the shot takes off, or at least he becomes an okay shooter. If he becomes an okay shooter, now he can space the floor. Um, his his uh, pick and roll game is really impressive. He has some potential as like an off or a, a help defender, uh, rim protector kind of an idea. Um, people will compare him to either Ben Simmons or Luca. He's not either of those players. He will never be that caliber of player, most likely. But you're you're betting that you're hopefully getting a, a point forward essentially who can be another ball handler next to Deer and Fox. Um, but to you, to your guys's point, there are much safer players who may become better players in this draft. I just like the gamble of Denny and what he could become and his attitude. Yeah, for my money, I'll just say I've got him tenth on my big board right now, and wow. uh, yeah, is that that's way too low for you? Uh, that's, I mean, that's low for me. I'm curious who's like eight nine for you. Is it like Vassal? So. Yeah, I, I'll run it down real quick. I'm just yeah. looking at it right now. Uh, Edwards, Hayes, Akongwu, Ball, Wiseman, Halliburton, Vassell, Toppin, Okoro, and Denny at ten. Yeah, I mean, like the only two like I would on my board I would put lower would be uh, Toppin, and that not even. I mean, I, I have some questions about his translation as a 22 year old in the league and and how well older players do that dominated younger players as scoring power forwards. Um, and I, I just have major questions with him next to Marvin Bagley is, is another reason I, I rank him lower. And then maybe Okoro I would have a problem with. But like you said, this whole draft is a bunch of wild cards. So, like, if the Kings took really honestly any guys on your big board over Denny, I might not make that call, but I also wouldn't be outraged because every player has at least one major deficiency in the top. 15. So it's kind of you're just making a bet and hoping hoping it pays off. Uh, Brandon, are you where are you at with Denny? Yeah, I have Denny nine on mine. Um, and yeah, just to go through mine, I have Edwards, Hayes, Ball, Okongwu, Vassell, Okoro, Toppin, Wiseman, and then Denny, um, and then Halliburton right after. Um, so yeah, I mean. You're talking about, like, you kind of have to buy the shot or buy into that potentially coming around, and I would just rather do that with Okoro. I mean, I really like Okoro's defense, and I've always been a big Okoro guy. I've admitted on here. I mean, I just like watching Okoro film more than most of these other guys, I find, Um, and he's got a little bit of that point forward in him as well, so... I don't know. I don't mind Denny. I I like the, the size of him and potential fit as a four, say, you know, possibly... It's a long-term pairing with Bagley or something like that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm kind of under the train of thought, assuming you stay at 12 or 13, that you go for a guy that is going to have an impact, uh, just a higher floor guy. And I, I kind of think it's going to come down to a Sadiq Bay, Aaron Neesmith, and, you know, maybe the Kings go in a completely different direction with a Poku, like we all joke. Um, but... Rich, before you had Neesmith over Bay, is that still kind of where you're at here? Yeah. Um, uh, yes, I have Neesmith significantly higher over Bay. 
like to be clear, this isn't even King centric, so I, I definitely understand wanting Bay at that twelve spot. But just to get back to Denny, one closing thought on him is the guys that scare me are the guys that you have to do a lot of like you you have to to invent a lot of stuff in your head, um, and it it happens with guys that we fall in love with, you know, clips of them in the gym, guys that like we create a narrative around where you know you mentioned. Obi Toppin, Tim, and it's like you don't have to imagine anything about that guy. Like he was the best player in the NCAA this this season. You don't have to imagine anything. It's more about concern of like where is he going from here? You know, does he have any more growing to do? Like will he actually, you know, will he develop more skills? Is the concern? And my concern with the uh, Danny Avija is like uh, Avija is like man he you're creating a lot of stuff. You have to imagine and, and hope, like, well, if he just shows the skill that he has not shown thus far, then he'll be good. And it's like, oh, that's where I just start to get really nervous. And he's just one of these tools guys who, like, can do a little bit of everything, but he may not do any of it at a level that translates, whereas, like, he just straight up, flat out, does not have any elite skill, and that's what scares the hell out of me. There's nothing you can hang your hat on and be like, Denny Avdia is going to be great at this one thing, but but yeah, that that's my that's all my thoughts on the draft. We can get back to more draft stuff in the next I, couple episodes. I think part of it also is like you'd have to take Denny at four more than likely, and that's where I'm kind of uncomfortable. Like if he's sliding to twelve, thirteen, I'm strongly I'm probably all for picking Denny there, but at four, I don't think so. Yeah, Denny at four is high. I think especially for the Kings when there are a few guys in that four to seven range that could do a lot more for them more quickly and, and maybe fit in a little bit better. So like I said, I like Danny. I think he has high ceiling, low floor, which is the scariest prospect you can take. Um, the Kings are also a team that they have one future star, one very maybe potential star, and nobody else that's going to become an all-star. So they've at some point they've got to surround De'Aaron Fox with elite talent. That's also why I'm pro-trading the pick if that elite talent becomes available. Um, but at some point, you're going to have to take a risk. And I guess they did that with Marvin Bagley. But you you got to find another star to pair with Fox. So taking those high-floor, lower-ceiling guys, you might get a career starter, but do you have another star to sit next to Fox over the next four years is, is always my question when it comes to the draft and the Kings. Yeah. Yeah, and read uh, Kings Herald stuff right now because I know Brendan wrote about why the Kings should go for a high floor draft pick. Um, you can read that over there. We also have a, ma- a mock draft coming out shortly that Brendan and I did, um, and and we're definitely going to be talking a lot more draft stuff upcoming. Um, but yeah, just would love Avija at, at 12. So I'm on board there for sure. If he falls. I'd love him. I would love that. I'd be very excited for that, but I'm just staying away from him in the top four. Yeah, yeah, understandable. Yeah, Tim, and I want to throw you because, I don't know, I just feel like it comes down to this. Do you have a preference between Bay and Eastman? Man, I like Bay a little bit more. Um, I've been told to stop with this narrative, but I'm going to continue with it. Neesmith, I think, will be a good shooter. It's like more than likely he will be a good shooter. But I have a little bit of like fear that he's not as good of a shooter as people project him to be. No. 
granted, he shot 52% on 8.2 three-point attempts per game in 14 games. I think we all can recognize that that number was eventually going to come down. Um, the year prior, he shot 33% from three on five attempts per game. So I just don't know where his shooting is going to fall. You've got a not very good number at all and, like, an otherworldly number in a short amount of games. I, don't, I think he's going to be a good shooter. I just don't know if he's going to be that elite shooter that people project him to be. Um, if he is, then obviously I'm wrong. Uh, but I would probably take Bay. But it's one of those things, too, where it's almost like Shump versus IT versus Brewer. Um, if the Kings pick a competent wing in a draft for the first time since Body Divock took over as the GM, I'll be thrilled. Only Tim could doubt Aaron Neesmith's shot applying <laughs> to any of Egypt. Uh, and that's why we have you on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. <laughs> My unique perspective. Right. Yeah, well, thanks, Tim, for coming on, and thanks to everybody for listening to this episode of the King's Pulse Podcast. If you enjoyed, please rate five stars, subscribe to the show uh, to keep up with all the rest of the content we got going on. And thanks to everybody for listening. You'll hear from us again in the next couple of days.